what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass out at like a bunch of these. So you did this hand uh, out for the whole week. So um, you know this is when you get to choose your own adventure here. So you can hold on to it and keep bringing it back, or you can leave it, and I'll just keep bringing it back for you. Um, you know yourselves better than I know you. So figure out which one you want to do. It's uh, just a double-sided handout for a couple of them. So I'm going to pass them around. I'll split it in half. Thanks for coming, by the way. I never know if people are going to show up to this. All right, good start. All right, so... And then I'm also going to pass around some note cards uh, with pens in them. So if you... This is for kind of any question you have on certification. So I'm going to go ahead, you can, they'll be kind of interrupt me during the seminar, but if you have a question that you came in with, or you have a question with you when you want to, when you leave today, we're going to do this every day, I'm just going to collect questions the last day of the seminar, I'm just going to take Q&A for most of that day, so I'll pass these out as well, so let me go over this way. You can grab a note card and a pen, and you can write out a question if you have one. And then you can always text me over there, this is my number. Um, you know, this is a seminar for you all, so I want to field your questions. I have a few pieces of content, but if you have any questions at all, you can text me. Um, I don't have, I don't think, any of your numbers, so it'll be completely anonymous. Uh, so you can, and that's what the cards are for, too. So if you have a question that you feel embarrassed about, whether you feel like it's too simple or it's too personal, you can put it on a card, you can text me, and we'll address it. And I'm going to try to talk about those things. Um, the last day at the very least, and maybe even at the end of each day. So, anyway, um, as we get started, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, myself, and you'll hear more and more through kind of personal stories and such as we go forward. But I'm Sid Druin, I'm the campus minister at Davidson College. Davidson's a small, large school just outside of Charlotte. Um, I've been the campus minister for three years. Before that, I was a campus minister at New Mexico State University. Uh, woo! So, four years there, and then, so it's my seventh year, just finished as a campus minister in RUI. And just a couple other stats I've got three children, uh, five and a half twin year old twins, a boy and a girl, William and Carol, and then a three and a half year old named Millie. And so, at one point, I did have three children under the age of four, which was awesome. Uh, part of my qualification for sanctification. Uh, the other qualification I have is that I, I moved six times in less than ten years at one point in my life, so that was amazing. Many of those with infants. So, uh, as, you, as you already figured out, I was in New Mexico for a while, and I moved to North Carolina, which is like a three-day drive. Um, so that was awesome in a minivan, So, which are a gift from God. But... Uh, <laughs> I was like very anti-minivan until I had children, and now I'm just all about that. So, anyway, we talk more about that later. Uh, what else? Okay, so, anyway, what kind of, co I mean, New Mexico State, what other schools do we have here? UNT. Okay, UNT, great. Millersville. Millersville? Kansas State. Okay, cool. Ole Miss. Ole Miss, all right. Appalachian. Okay. Appalachian. Okay, great, so good smatter. <laughs> Does everyone have a handout at this point? Awesome, awesome. And again, you can fill out the cards as you go, uh, and then just leave them in the back or something, I'll pick them up, and we'll go from there. Okay, so 
couple of things that we're just going to do format and set up, and then I'm going to start going into some material. Uh, we've got four days together. Uh, we're going to go through some material. I'm going to spend about 45 minutes of each day going through. You should feel free to interrupt me. That's totally fine. Ask for clarification. Ask what I mean. I have two spiritual gifts, as you've already sort of seen, witnessed. Um, the host is going to give me two gifts to bless the nations by awkwardness. <laughs> you see me drop those handouts. That's just par for the course. Um, and then also overkill slash uh, over-explanation. So you're either going to feel like if you look at the handout, you might feel overwhelmed. That's part of the that's part of the gift. But you also might kind of feel like I'm over-explaining something. So you can feel free to kind of give me a signal and we'll keep moving. Let's make this interactive. Uh, but also, like, if you feel like they're also something that you need to be kind of slowed down a little bit, I'm happy to do that too. So anyway, uh, let's see what else. I can stay for a bit afterwards to talk. Uh, you can catch me at any time during the conference and talk. I'm happy to do that. Because I know some of these questions you have coming in are going to be a little bit more personal, a little bit more intense than I can do in a kind of fly-by seminar. Cool. Oh, yeah. Okay. Last thing on a small picture daily level is we have, uh, if you, I basically you can condense this whole thing down into a definition and two diagrams. Okay. So, like, the whole, I'm going to give you a definition of sanctification, and I'm going to give you two diagrams. And I'm going to expand a lot more than that. It's not going to take, we're not going to spend four days on that. Okay. But just kind of to give you kind of a bird's eye view of that. And then finally, let's see. You have sort of a list of the big picture layout. Um, I gave you like a little mall diagram. You're here, you're in the introduction right now. So take comfort. Because then we're going to see how this works, and then we're going to go through those different sections as we go through the time. Um, let's see what else. Okay, that's it. So let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started on sanctification. Father, uh, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be with the students. I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk about this topic. Um, I pray that you would just be with all of our hearts. Uh, this is a topic, as we even start to define sanctification, some of us don't even kind of aren't sure what that means. Um, and I pray that you would just be with all of us, wherever we are, with, um, with you, Jesus, and with this topic and with this conference. Some of us are excited to be here. Some of us are already uh, having buyer's remorse. Um, and I pray that you would just be with us and uh, that we'd know you're for us. Uh, no matter where we are, and that you'd beat us in space. And I pray that you'd use words to do that, that you'd use questions to do that, that you would use uh, your word, your scripture to do that too, and through your Holy Spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Okay, so we're starting with some brief definitions of sanctification. Um, you can see that in your handout uh, under number, Roman number two, on section one. So yeah, this is part of my, have you noticed the overkill already, like the Roman numerals? Okay. <coughs> blessings, blessings. Okay, spiritual gifts, working in action, working in action. Okay, so let's give you a couple definitions just to kind of make sure we're on the same page. Uh, sanctification, by the way, there, there should have been a subtitle to this. It's how resting and rejoicing lead to doing good. Okay, so we're going to talk about how resting and rejoicing lead to doing good. That's sanctification in a nutshell. Uh, I'm going to try to make that case for you all. But... Sanctification comes from, it's a, it's a Latin word, the two Latin words combined together, uh, which means sanctus, does anyone know what sanctus means? Holy. Holy, good, and then fication is a sort of suffix or end of a word that is put onto things that make it says make something or do something, so to make holy, okay, but you could, they could be like, oh, that's just a Latin word, it's not in the Bible, there's actually this Greek word 
hagiazo or hagiasmas for the for the noun, which is does anyone know what hagias means? It's a wild guess. Holy, okay. Um, and then sometimes you'll hear that word hagiography, which is a, a biography of saint. Okay, so saint is also what hagias means. And then also um, azo, which is the same it means make. So make holy. Okay, so this is a word that's used throughout. The scripture, we didn't make this one up in RUF, okay, contrary to popular belief. So you'll see sanctification over and over and over again um, in, the, in the letters in particular, okay? And that's sort of the, those are the, those are the definitions from sort of the dictionary. Let's look at the uh, biblical definition. I'm going to need some readers. If you Can someone read for me Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? As you're turning there, um, I try to keep my eye on time, but does anyone like really... Uh, I'm pretty bad at time. I think probably from my time in New Mexico, no offense. Uh, but I'm, I'm moved about 15 minutes late. So if anybody can watch the time for me, that'd be awesome. So, but as you're turning there, can someone, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, or on your phone, you can type it out. No, that would be weird. Yeah. Well, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so we're going to circle back and back and back to this, okay? So there's two parts of this definition that I want to that I want to sort of hammer down, okay? So this is the definition of, of sanctification that we're going to unpack. Sorry, the board is in the most awkward place ever. I mean, I feel like I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a lefty, so I'm doing the best I can here. Um, okay, so that's the definition. Okay, if you want a sort of biblical, straight definition of sanctification, God is saving us from our sin or sins. Two or four good works. Okay, what ends up happening in sanctification is you end up doing one or the other in terms of emphasis. It's hard to hold both in tension. It's hard to sort of believe that God is saving us from our sins and also doing it for the purpose of good works. Okay, so we tend to be the kind of people who grew up in a church or a background or maybe have come to this on our own and we sort of are the kind of person that really overemphasizes one of these two sides of sanctification. There's a, is it, there's a saving side from sin, and there's also this sort of purposeful side to go and do good works. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, emphasizes both. Okay? You see verses 8 through 9 talk about the salvation from sin, and verse 10 talks about the purpose of the salvation, which is for good works. My guess is that most of us grew up emphasizing this in sanctification. Okay? And so what I'm going to try to do is sort of really show you that sanctification is a piece of salvation. So when you talk about salvation, a lot of us have this definition of salvation that's only actually what we call justification. Like this idea that you had a, a moment, you prayed a prayer, and Jesus came, and he rescued you, and it was like a hit and run, and then you never saw him again. Um, what we're trying to do is unpack the fact that he's still at work, present tense, in your life. And that's what sanctification is really trying to get at. Okay? Um, and most, so it's not just like do better. Okay? So that's why the rest and rejoicing leading to doing good. 
Okay? So part of it, part of it is how do you rest and rejoice in this part, that, that God's resting his present tense from our sin in order to do good. Okay, that's what we're going to unpack a little bit together. Okay, more on that as we go. So let's see. Technical definition. Can someone read that? We're under just for those, we're still on the first page. Um, Roman numeral two, letter C. Can someone read the italicized part? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Okay, so I think a little technique, a little theology is good for us. I know it's hard this early in the morning, uh, but and I'm going to circle back and unpack this definition more and more as we go to you. It's a great definition of sanctification. Just so you know, like there's a I teach another seminar every other summer conference on creeds, confessions, and catechisms. Um, so that's a great definition from a catechism that was written in the 1600s in England. Okay, so it goes way back, but it's really helpful. Okay, and I can talk to you more about that. If you have questions about catechism, I'm happy to talk about it too. Um, but really, this is a teaser for us because sanctification is about becoming more fully human. Okay, what does it mean to be more you and more me? Okay, what does it mean to move from this kind of idea of freedom and dignity and move from selfishness and pride into selflessness and love? Right? Again, think about what we're moving. We're moving from sin, we're rescued from sin, selfishness and pride, towards good works, which is defined as love in the Bible. Okay? you got this sort of idea that we're kind of constantly revolving around the same ideas over and over and over again, no matter what your definition is. Here's the final definition, and I mean, when we say real, I put quotation marks around it because, like, you know, isn't that what we're supposed to do now? Uh, it's anything real, quote-unquote. And so we're just doing that. Uh, but what I mean by that is just sort of like real life, what this feels like. Someone want to read that brief definition by John Evanson, who's a pastor. The gap between our condition and God's calling. Oh, sort of. Sorry. A little bit. We're still up in... I know. No, no, you're good. We're like a junior high band playing Beethoven. Okay, that's exactly how sanctification feels, doesn't it? Like, we're like a junior high band playing Beethoven. Just picture it with me, right? Did anyone play? I played the trumpet in fifth grade. Did anyone do that? Whew. It was brutal. Um, You feel sorry for the people who come to those concerts, don't you? Like, so, think about it this way. Like, um... It's awkward, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's actually just downright painful. To, to, but it's also, this, there's these passages, these moments of beauty, right? We're like the seventh graders who are acne-filled and awkward and gangly. All of a sudden they hit the note right and you get the passage and all of a sudden Beethoven explodes into the room. And then it goes right back to them being awkward and uncomfortable with themselves, right? And that, that sort of moment is sort of what sanctification is like. Sanctification is this dance of incredible awkwardness, sometimes pain, but also these sort of times in our lives where things click and they work. And that's what's beautiful about kind of being, uh, moving towards becoming more like Christ or more holy, changing for the better, um, or another definition is becoming more and more perfect. Okay, so questions so far about definitions of sanctification. I'm happy to pause on any of that stuff. I do want to make this interactive. I know this is a very long classroom, but... Either. Whew, all right. <laughs> good, good news. You want me to just keep motoring on? All right. So let's get into some, again, I'm going to make this more and more pastoral, more and more kind of relevant for real life. We just got through the kind of dry section a little bit. So we're going to talk about the problem. Okay, we're on number two already. Okay, basically this is the first diagram, but there's an idea of the problem, 
And then I'm going to give you three false solutions, and then we're going to try to get the true solution. But I'm going to give you a warning. We might end the cliffhanger, okay? just depending on how far we can get. So okay, the problem is hypocrisy. Okay, the problem in sanctification, the problem of being a human being is hypocrisy, right? Um, so another way of putting this is what do you do when you freeze? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you fight? What do you do when you flee yet again? Okay. Like when you expect a totally different result and then you find yourself doing the exact opposite yet again. Okay, that's the human problem. That is the human problem. Okay? And this is where that second definition comes in from Joe Nobinson, right? There's this gap between our condition and our calling. There's a chasm between the real us, who we are, okay, and the ideal us, who we wish we were, okay, the ideal us, okay? There's this critical distance about how we appear to the world even, like public, persona, polished, adored at a distance, then there's the real us, the private selves, the people we know we are deep down inside. And many of us feel shame about that. Another sort of way of thinking about it is it's like duck swimming. Have you ever seen a duck swim on the bottom of the surface? It's like effortless success for a lot of us, okay? Or maybe it looks like that to other people. We don't even know it, okay? Um, everyone else, you or maybe just everyone else feels this way. Maybe you feel like that sometimes it just looks like everything's all together and put together on the surface. But you know, then like just one push inward, one kind of false start, and all of a sudden, below the surface, everything's effortful failure. So the, the dock looks chill on the top, but underneath it's just scrambling like it's going to drown. Okay, and so that's kind of how life feels, and that's sort of what we're kind of getting at with that kind of problem of external internal. I'm going to give you some personal proofs of the problem, okay? So, you know, being in ministry for a while, um, a lot of you, or maybe you just have experienced this too, is how we feel about the church or how people feel about the church in general, okay? Um, the church self-proclaims to be holier than thou, okay? And what it feels like is just sort of like adultery, gossip, and judgmental, right? I mean, the, we've now sort of the John 3.16 as a verse has been replaced by judge not lest you be judged as the most well-known Bible verse, Okay, so judge not lest you be judged is the most well-known Bible verse in America. Okay? And partly it's because people sort of said this, these people are judgmental. The church is judgmental. They're not as nice and they don't act as good as they advertise they do. Okay? And that's the criticism of the church, okay, from inside and from outside. Okay? And you know, there's a brief defense here, the fact that why are we trying to make the, the church into a museum? Why are we polishing the valuables? Why are we placing them out in display lights when the reality is it's a, it's a field hospital? <laughs> People are bleeding profusely. There is, I don't know, like urine streaming across the, the hall. It is, it is a gross mess because people are there because they need healing. Okay? And so part of this is like, what if we change our public proclamation to the world? And part of sanctification is having the freedom and the dignity to do that. To say, I don't have to be picture perfect anymore. I get to be a work in process, a work in progress. I need Jesus is the public proclamation, but more on that in a minute. Okay. Uh, also, just think about our social media presence, right? Um, you know, like, <laughs> there's, a, there's scientific studies now that the more you look at social media, uh, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, the more anxious and depressed you get. Okay? You know, that's just proven now. Why is that? Because everyone else looks like they're making it, and you're not. 
Right? They're like, I'm an amazing cook. Like, look at this. Like, pad thai I didn't even try. Or like, you know, like, I went on this vacation to the Amalfi Coast in Italy, and, you know, it was pretty easy, and that was great, and it didn't cost any money. Right? And so that sort of level of reality is really difficult, right? To deal with, or hashtag blessed, right? Oof, I could go on that for a while. But like, you know, hashtag blessed is like, I'm better than you are. That's basically what hashtag blessed means. Okay? And everyone feels that. And we feel inadequate and not good enough. I mean, no, none of us can live up to our social media presence, right? Like, there's some sense in which if you put even my terrible Facebook profile next to me as a reality, you would just, it would just, I would fail in comparison, right? Uh, because of I'm not quite as cool as the, the, the quotes I put on there or the pictures I put on there, right? Um, I love the fact that Yik Yak exists because it just sort of destroys everything, right? Like the, the I, I just want like the, I just want like some sort of like the Yik Yak version of somebody to meet the Instagram version of somebody and just watch what that happens, right? The person who's just like insulting the world on it, Yik Yak because it's anonymous is the same person that has sort of like um, you know everything's linked to Pinterest and all their different cool hobbies, right? And so that's sort of helpful for us to see that that reality is difficult. Um, the final thing is like, and this is just very personal, okay, that's part of what we're going to do here. I, I think about my nightmares. I think about my dreams. Like, all of my dreams are about being exposed and being found out. Okay? Like, I not, have not done anything to my knowledge that's terrible, but every one of my dreams is like, all of a sudden I don't have clothes and I'm in front of a bunch of people. Maybe it's because I speak for a living. And but like I can't get to my clothes. I'm just completely naked, and I have and like I'm missing three quarters of my notes. And so I'm naked without my notes in front of all these people, and, I, and they're like talk. And I'm like I don't have clothes. I don't know how to do this. It's very difficult. And so I mean, and the whole dream is me like constructing very realistic, plausible scenarios to go get my clothes. And that, just that's a true story. Uh, or I'm back in high school and I have not passed. Like, I missed an exam, I don't have a diploma, and the world has figured this out, and I'm 35 years old, and I'm a fake, and, you know, like, I didn't have time to study for this test, and they told me I could retake it, because they told me it's like five minutes from now, and it's a subject I didn't even get the first time, like, pre-calculus or something, and, you know, like, that's a stressor for me, too. Um, you know, like, my dreams, my dreams are not super original, I don't have, like, super creative dreams, but they're basically just rehashing all the ways in which I feel like I'm faking it until I make it. Okay, and some of you have these dreams too. Uh, we have this feeling that we're we're going to fail to make it, that we're imposters, and that's sort of what this kind of idea of hypocrisy is getting at. Okay, and then there's the biblical evidence that we have, kind of in our corner as well. So this is giant cold, cooling, uh, calling to God, okay, to holiness. Okay. I'm going to get out of the way in just a second. So, I'm just drew a line. It's nothing original. Um, but, can someone read Leviticus 11.44? I know, I'm going right there, aren't I? Like, this is why this is... This is sort of the central verse of why Leviticus is in the Bible. Okay, I'm just going to put it on the table. 11, chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. Uh, consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. Okay, so besides the last part, um, 
in terms of the creatures that move about on the ground, which we can talk about if you want to, the idea is that you've got to consecrate yourself and be holy as I am holy. Okay? And that's picked up in First Peter, to be obedient, enlightened children, and to be holy as I am holy. He quotes Leviticus 11.44 in chapter 1 of First Peter. Or can someone read um, Matthew 5.48? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And as you're turning there, the context is, um, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling people how to be a disciple. And he gets the section about like loving your enemies. Okay, he says, it's great that you love your friends, it's great that you love important people, it's great that you love people who are peers or colleagues, um, but what about the people who persecute you? What is, is anyone there, uh, Matthew 5, 48? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm not going to water that down. <laughs> okay, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so if you thought holy was intense, perfection for us maybe is even more intense. Okay? So there's this very, very high calling. Okay, a very, very high holiness, okay? Um, and then there's that law moment on Mount Sinai, where Exodus 20 captures, Matthew 22 summarizes, right? So you've got the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, right? The, the, the people of Israel have been freed from slavery, and then he says, guess what? You're no longer beasts of burden. This is what it means to be human beings. Upright, standing, free people, okay? And then you've got sort of Matthew, Matthew kind of, and Jesus summarizes the entire kind of moral law, the Ten Commandments, and he says it this way. He says, look, love God with everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. Easy. <laughs> Obviously, very high bar. Very high bar. Okay, you're called to holiness and perfection. We're God's priest to the entire world. And that's great. It's a cool, awesome calling, except for the fact that we fail at that. He says the hypocrisy again, okay? How about our condition? So here's our condition. So that's the calling, God's calling. Our condition is down here. Okay? So perfection and holiness, and then our condition. Can someone read uh, Romans, let's do 7. We can turn, one person can turn Romans 7, 14 through 25. Does someone want to raise their hands so they can do it? Okay, great. And then how about Philippians 3.12? Can someone do that? Great. Okay, as they're turning there, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote God's words. Okay? The Holy Spirit works in a mysterious way, and he wrote the words of God. Okay? He's the church planter. He says to people, and he means it, imitate me as imitate Christ. Okay? I wouldn't say that. Um, he's, and what is he saying? In, uh, does anyone at Philippians 3 or Romans 7 yet? Okay, Philippians 3, then we'll be Romans 7. Did you say 3.12? Yeah, 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay, so he's saying, I'm not perfect, I'm not there, I haven't attained all that. Okay, and then Romans 7, this is the... 14-25? Yep, 14-25. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, what I keep on doing. Now, if 
I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. Okay, so what's he saying there? Members, by the way, is just like a way of saying limbs, like hands, feet, what we do with life. Okay, he's saying, I'm not already perfect, and I do the exact opposite of what I intended to do. Apostle Paul, okay, the church planter, the Mr. Imitate Me as I Imitate Christ, is saying, I'm not there, I do evil instead of good. I know better, and I find myself doing the opposite. And that is extremely wretched. He says, wretched man that I am. Okay? And then finally, last little proof, John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Okay, one more reader on that one. Okay. Again, this is just describing our condition. Not perfect. What Paul calls wretched, ashamed. Anyone do first Pete, first John chapter one? Yep. Okay. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so the idea is look, don't lie yourselves. We don't we don't lie, we make Jesus into a liar if we say we're not sinful, we've all sinned. Uh, and, and sin is not just a behavior, it's a state of being. It's thoughts and feelings and inclinations and desires, right? Think about the way that uh, Jesus unpacks in the Sermon on the Mount the idea of murder. He says, don't murder your brother, but then he actually says, yeah, and that's really, that's true, but it also means don't hate your brother in your heart. <laughs> so he's just sort of saying, hey, that's hard. Guess what's even harder than that? Okay? Whoa. Um... <laughs> So, does that make sense? So there's this huge gap. I want you to see the gap between God's calling and our condition. Okay? Does that make sense? Like, this is huge. Okay? We've seen descriptions by John, Paul. We know our own personal stories. And we also, at the same time, have to reconcile the fact that he's calling us to perfection and to holiness. Okay? And that's this big gap. And I'm going to give you three false solutions that we try to fill the gap. Three solutions that we do over and over and over again. Um, and you're gonna find yourself, you've either done all of these or you've just kind of you're majoring in one of these things. Okay? And they're false piety, fake authenticity, and ignoring the problem. Okay? False piety, fake authenticity, ignoring the problem. You could also call them determination, okay, for false piety. For fake authenticity, you could call it um, despair. And then for ignoring the problem, you could call it denial. Okay? So we're talking about those three Ds or those different definitions of that. And we're on the first page, false solutions at the very bottom. And I'm going to start with the story of my failed soccer career. Um, so I played soccer. Uh, well, played is a strong word. Uh, <laughs> I rode the bench pretty mightily. I played goalkeeper, uh, and I rode the bench. I was very good at warming people up and very good at cheering. Um, and I, I got to a high level, and uh, I, I, I rode the bench all the way to college. Um, and so I played second street goalkeeper at Davidson. I went to Davidson. That's why I'm back there. 
And um, I remember that first year of playing Division One soccer and thinking, like, I've made it. I'm going to be great. I trained as hard as I've ever trained over the summer. Like, you know, I was taking shots. I was, like, lifting weights. I worked out probably, like, four hours at least a day. Like, just very intensely trying to do soccer for a living, basically. And then I get into the preseason, and we go down to Brazil, and we go to, we go to scrimmage semi-professional teams. Like, 16-year-olds that kill us. Like, let's just be honest. Like, we didn't even touch the ball. They just passed it around us. Um, but, so I'm going down there, and I'm determined to start as a sophomore. I'm not going to be taking the any longer. This is my chance. This is my moment. And um, the first match I play, I let in this really easy goal. It kind of goes like kind of right beside me, and I almost dive over it. And there's so much pressure on myself at this point. And the way that I handle it, this is a true story, is that I did push-ups afterwards until I could not lift myself to the ground. That's how I handled that. So then I have the round two, second match I get to play in Brazil. This is my last chance to get the starting position. And we're playing in some altitude. I'm tired, whatever else. All the, all the excuses I'm already giving you. Um, and it was like a nightmare. It's one of those games, I don't know if you've had these moments, whether it's sports or life, where it like feels like slow motion. <laughs> it feels like it cannot be happening. I got, I got shipped, a bunch of balls just lopped over my head. They must have scored three or four goal, really easy goals that way. And I just thought... Um, I, I can't do this. And I just took my gloves and I literally just threw them off. And I resolved to quit. And pretty, and pretty much, like, I kept that resolution at the end of the season. I quit after my sophomore fall season of soccer. And I, kept, I think it was because of that game. Um, and so, think about sort of the way that we handle failure. Okay? I mean, do you do push-ups for Jesus? Or are you throwing your gloves off and quitting at all. Okay, that's sort of what we're seeing in these different definitions. Okay, so let's look up push-ups for Jesus, false piety, and this is really pulling our condition up to the level. Jesus, trying harder, I'm going to make it work. Determination, right? It's pretending that we're better than we are. We're finding, we find something that we're good at and we major in it, right? We run around any weakness that we have, like we run around a backhand in tennis, okay? We ignore our weakness. We do all the right things for the wrong reasons, and it makes us resent life and resent virtue, okay? This is all about control. It's all about control, Okay? Holiness becomes, we try to find it and make it easy to measure. And this is where checklists come in, right? Do you guys know what I mean by checklists? Okay, we think about things like, who do I hang out with and who do I not hang out with? And how does that make me a better person than, say, you? Okay? Or, who, what do I think about and what do I not think about? Or, what do I do and what do I not do? Or, how do I feel about God? Or, how do I not feel about God? We're constantly weighing and checking these things, Okay? So, I mean, it can look like, who do you hang out with? It could be guilt by association, right? Um, it could be, like, circle the wagons, we're, we're against the world, no parties, um, you know, getting, having a solo cup is the end of the world. Like, that sort of, that could be your thing, okay? Um, you know, if someone sees you on in Instagram with a solo cup, even if it has water in it, your, your life's over, 
Okay? Or it could be something like easy behavior stuff, like always external, like I don't go to R-rated movies, drinking, smoking, dating, sex, okay? All the things that, but, you know, meanwhile we're ignoring like gossip, envy, hatred, okay? All these sort of things that the Bible makes a big deal about too. And then but we're really saying like, I'm doing well if my boyfriend or girlfriend does not touch me above the friendship bracelet or below the fanny pack. As long as we've got those no touch those parts chart down, like as if First Corinthians and Paul were like, oh, I really need to put a stick figure here, and you know, like it's good to hold hands, that's okay, but like, whoop, neck, no, 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 like you know, like as if that was what the Bible is about, it was a stick figure with X's and check marks on it, right? Okay. Um, or think about this way, like some of us are into arm, armchair theology, right? We think that like a Puritan paperback or a systematic theology can save our souls. This is my problem, right? I'm a campus minister, right? This is, I was ordained to do this. So my whole deal is like, the amount of guilt and shame I feel on the book table is unbelievable. I mean, I've read a lot of books, and I feel like I can never read enough. Because like, I think that basically what my worth is and what I'm, what I'm doing to make up this difference is how well I think about God. Okay? If I can just think accurately, then that overcomes all the inabilities to do uh, do well. Okay, or emotionalism. Some of us are just kind of chasing the mountaintop high that we had like in seventh grade at youth group, right? Like, you know, we're, or we're chasing that idea of like being close and intimate with God. Every, like the will of God is like this Ouija board where we're just sort of feeling out and we're going, whoa, 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 hot, 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 cold, 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 right? And so you're kind of kind of always feeling out whether he likes you or not. And he's sort of really moody and you're not sure how to like it, whether he likes you. And that becomes your arbiter of how you're doing. It's like how you feel about God only, okay? Because you feel close. Well, what about those times and all those sort of incredible amounts of churches where people talk about God not feeling close and how is the best thing for them? Right? If you have a, if you're curious about that topic, look up the song "I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow" by John Newton. Okay, he asked the Lord that he might grow. Shocking, you know the title. But guess what happens? He exposes the hidden evils of his heart, <laughs> and he goes, "Why, God?" And God says, "Because that's how you grow." Okay, so do you kind of like so? Part of it is unpacking some of these different ways of understanding ourselves. Okay, so basically, we try to fill the gap by saying, "I'm a good person." Because of this. And so it's like, you know, we're like a stick figure. And we're going tippy-toe style. Can everyone see that? And then we're like jumping. Oh, there I go, right? I'm so much taller than this guy now. But, you know, da-da-da-da. Like, you're still like thousands of leagues away from perfection, okay? And so you can't make it on your own. And some of us are like, Sid, I got this. This was like my freshman year in college. I came in. I was all legalistic and all moralistic. And now I'm like totally figured this out because all I'm about is the opposite. Fake authenticity. And I'm just pulling the level of calling down to my condition. Right? So like you realize that you can't do it and the solution becomes I'm going to make the outside match the inside. Like here's how I feel. Let me just do what I feel. I feel like I'm, I'm failing, so why don't I just act and sit boldly, right? Isn't that what Martin Luther said out of context? <laughs> Maybe. No. Okay, so the idea is sort of like throwing off the gloves and quitting. So this was the second idea. It's despair. Okay, we're looking at despair. Um, 
and fake authenticity. It's sinning boldly to make the outside match the inside. Someone read Proverbs 26, 11. As you're turning there, so if, if false piety is about control, fake authenticity is about, it's actually a lot of rage that's going on underneath the surface. Some real, some real anger. Okay? Someone have Proverbs 26, 11? I'm sorry, I know this turned into like a lot of Bible in terms of trying to find stuff, but that's sort of what it's summarized, I guess. So, anyone got that? Like a dog that returns to his, do- oh, his vomit is a fool who repeats his fault. Okay, so some of us feel like that, right? Some of us feel like we're just returning to the vomit because we are vomit. We return to that bad behavior, that sinful thought, that whatever, because that's who we are. We might as well make what we are honest. Okay, so that's guilt. Okay, that's sort of this idea of what makes us move towards there. What's the from? And there's also this misunderstood view of freedom. Okay, what Christian freedom really means. Can someone look at Galatians 5.13? And just raise your hand when you've got it. I know we've had a lot of confusion about that. People are making awkward eye contact with me. <laughs> I'm like, I can't see everyone's eyes at once. Okay. Galatians 5.13, anybody? Okay, thank you. (laughs) For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right, so Christ died to free us, okay? He died to free us from sin and from selfishness. Okay, but he also died to free us towards something. Not just freedom is not just from something. Freedom is towards something as well. And so we were from sin and from self, just towards selfless love. He died for a purpose. Okay? To help you to go and do good works. Okay? But you can't skip this step. You've got to be free. Okay? And we'll talk more about I've got to, as we get in the week, we'll talk more about how what that means kind of practically. Okay? So more on that later. So this is how we try to destroy the gap. Okay? We have this idea of pulling down the calling of God to the level where we are. Does that make sense? Some of us are determined to pull up, and some of us are um, despairing to pull down. Or some of us are doing back and forward. And then sometimes this is called license or cheap grace or lawlessness or, if you're really fancy, antinomianism, which is anti-law. Okay, it's a fancy way of saying that. Um, and people will say something like, I'm free to sin. And I'm going to say, but you're also free not to sin. Okay? <laughs> or someone will say, love God and do what you want. St. Augustine. And I'll say, yeah, do what you want if you love God. That will change how you, what you do. Anyway, so that sort of idea is sort of as we move through. And I, I, I would say, like, I would guess to say that most of us enter maybe Arya over here. And Arya moves us to here. <laughs> is that fair? I've been awkwardly laughing, so that's probably true. Okay, that's on purpose. Okay, and then the last, the last little false solution. I'm going to my time. Oh, we're not too bad. Okay, I'll, I'll end with this, because of course I told you I'd end on a cliffhanger. Okay, is ignoring the problem, okay, which is denial. Okay, this is looking for relief. And so ignoring the problem looks like this. And I, I'm just going to abbreviate here, okay? 
is canceling out the condition, canceling the calling, turning up the music, just saying, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. You turn up the noise in your life, you numb out. Netflix, YouTube, friends, you're never alone, you're never quiet, you're never reflecting, you're never thinking. Some of us do this with busyness. We are amazing at scheduling. Uh, Davis in College is amazing at scheduling. Uh, I hate crying with you, like, maybe four weeks. Um, I've got X, Y, and Z, you know, Embassy International meetings, um, you know, refugees in Charlotte. Um, you know, like, so you're, you eventually kind of eventually get there, which are all good things, but if you don't have any free time, it's hard to do any reflection. Okay, like, I'll give you a couple, a quote, okay? The sole cause of man's unhappiness is his inability, he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. Okay, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. That's Blaise Pascal. Okay, it's a 16th century, 17th century theologian. Okay, so the sole cause of man's unhappiness is he doesn't know how to stay quietly in his room. Okay, this is huge for us. Okay, uh, they did a, U- a UVA psychological study. Okay, University of Virginia, and they asked people um, to sit in a room by themselves for 15 minutes with nothing. And I said, you can get out of this if you shock yourself. Like, violently shock yourself, like electrical collar. Shock yourself. And <laughs> over 50% of both genders shock themselves together within 15 minutes. 85% of men. <laughs> 60-ish percent of women. Okay, that's an amazing amount. For 15 minutes, you would rather shock yourself, cut yourself paid, than sit in a room. I'm just <laughs> telling you, we got a lot of this, okay? Um... So think about like when you're home, how you escape, and think about addiction. Addiction is another way for another word, more psychological word for idolatry, but we fight battles we can win, things we can control, right? We starve. Okay, use eating language. Or we gorge to using we escape. So addiction is all about escape and relief. Okay, and that's to not deal with who we are and deal with the problem that we know inherently inside of us that we feel hypocrisy. We feel like we should be something that we're not. And we feel shame about that. And we don't know how to deal with it. Okay? And so we, you know, like, life becomes a joystick or a controller to try to get ourselves in a different place or it becomes a warm blanket that we just refuse to get up from. Okay? And that's sort of, some of us are in those different spaces. And I'm saying that's kind of like what it means to be human to different levels and degrees. Okay? And so we move towards extremes sometimes. You know, sometimes this looks like push-ups for Jesus one day and then quietly quitting it all the next day, okay? And we're back and forth, we're back and forth. Determination, despair, pride and despair. I'm great, I'm terrible, I'm amazing, I'm the worst. Like, that back and forth within us is how, because we're constantly trying to say, I can't fix the gap. Okay? I cannot fix this gap. And so, I have to ignore the problem, okay? You feel an inch deep and a mile wide. And then, so, that's sort of where we are, Okay? I'm going to pause there. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, but I want to have time for questions. If you have questions, I'll leave you with a lyric from an old, beautiful song that will give you some idea where we're going. You can also just look at the handout. But anyway, so if you really need to know. But questions about, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a clue. It has to do with Jesus. Shocking. Um, any questions that you have about some of the stuff so far? about the diagram, about sanctification. 
Yeah. Yeah, so under uh, Paul's power, means mm -hmm. that holiness um, becomes something easier to measure, like a checklist. Yeah. Like yeah, so I was trying to give you some categories that you do a checklist. You kind of think about things that you're good at, and you try to say, if I'm not doing this, then I'm doing okay, or if I am doing this, I'm doing okay. So what you've done is you've taken something, okay, like a couple different ways to think about it. So I'll do big picture and small picture. Big picture is, do you have the criticism of ever the religion for Christianity is? It doesn't have enough rules. Like if you talk to a Muslim, or you talk to a Jew, they will say, you don't have enough rules, you don't have enough laws. Because they want a checklist. <laughs> they want to know exactly what to do in every circumstance. And what Jesus says instead is, I'm giving you my spirit. And I'm going to give you a few guidelines you get to live within that space. Of, of freedom, but also wisdom. What's called sanctified wisdom. Okay? Um, but on a personal level, it looks like this. It takes sort of little things that we think we can control. Um, things that we're good at or things that seem very manageable. Right? Like, I, I, you see this a lot in a Christian community with alcohol, okay? Or, like, we have a, literally have Up the Hill, which is, like, academics, Davidson, like, you know, studiousness and, like, responsibility and service projects. And literally there's a hill, and, it's, <laughs> and it goes down the hill. And that's where all the parties happen on campus. And so there's, like, this idea of, like, if I don't go down the hill, then I'm fine. Even if you're pulling all-nighters to study, even if you never rest, even if you are totally like an anxious, depressed mess, it doesn't matter so much as you don't go down that hill. Okay? And again, I'm not saying all anxiety or depression is caused by sin. Okay? We can talk about that if you want to, too. But the point is, like, some of these, some of these folks, Davidson, myself included when I was there, and myself still, we do busyness and we overwork, and we think it's fine because we're not doing certain party maneuvers. Okay? And I'm just saying that's sort of an easy way to do a checklist. Like, I avoided this, check, right? Um, or, you know, you're the kind of person that does community service, and you think, like, man, I, I did work a soup kitchen every week. How can I be a bad person? And that's a checklist. Um, other questions? Yeah? You mentioned anger for faith Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was trying to, what I was trying to get with the Proverbs quote. There's a sense of real self-frustration. Um, there's a real sense of like, so if, if you're trying to manage the problem in false piety, and you're trying to find the right variables and the right joysticks to manage the problem in false piety, fake authenticity is just sort of like this, it's, it's a despair that's sort of like a, um, it's, it's a, a quitting that feels really angry and frustrated, and says, this is totally unfair, I'm unfair, I hate this, and sometimes I hate myself. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, and that's not surprising that a lot of fake authenticity manifests in and behaviors are self-destructive and destructive to other people. Okay, and that's part of the. If you want to do like a quick definition of love in the Bible, it's like you know, helping and loving and building up other people and yourself. Okay, versus destroying or destructive or consuming people. And that's what. So like sin would be that be a definition of sin. And so I think you see that, and there's and the behind that's just a little bit of rage that sort of says I um, I can't stand who I am. I can't stand the expectations that are put on me. Um, why? Why is that fake authenticity? Because like I understand that's a bad thing yeah. um, to just kind of be like, "Well, screw it. I'm just going to do what I want to do." Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's kind of saying, "Yeah, I know this is wrong, and I don't really care. I'm going to do it." And I would, I would say that that would seem authentic, at least in like the way I would think about the word, even if it's not like a good way of doing it. Right. And I mean, fake, not in the sense of like, I mean. Yeah, authenticity is a hard word, but basically, yeah, authenticity in the sense that you're trying to make the inside match the outside, 
that but it's, it's fake in two ways. One, I don't think authenticity is just about being the real me. And, and secondly, I think that even if it were, that's not the real you and Jesus. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're, and this is what I think is so fascinating about sanctification is it's like when Paul talks about sanctification, he doesn't sit there and say, get better. Okay, he doesn't sit there and go like, buck up, tie your shoes tighter, Johnny. Like, you know, like, get run in the right direction and harder. Like, he sits there and says, he sort of says, that that's not who you are. This is who you are. That's all he said. He says, Colossians, Romans, Ephesians are all basically saying, this, that, that's, that, like, on the best illustration I have is, like, my son, uh, when he was really little, liked to play in the toilet. Okay? And I remember kind of catching him a couple times. It was, like, really fun for him and funny. Just, like, right, like, in the toilet. And I'd be like, <laughs> and at some point, like, it's understandable, but that's not who he is. That's what a dog does. That's not a human being. Right? And so that's kind of what Paul's saying. He's like, why are you playing with action figures in college? Like, why are you, like, why are you, like, doing something that's not who you are anymore? Like, it makes sense that you would do that in some ways, but, like, that's not who Christ has made you to be. Does that make sense? It's not to be shameful or anything. I'm sorry if you play action figures in college. But, you know, like, that's sort of to say, like, he's trying to make an argument that isn't shame on you rubbing your face in, in the mess you made. But he's also sort of saying, like, wow, like, that's not authenticity. Authenticity is you going and loving people. Because the, the law of God's been written on your heart. You have a new heart. By the way, this is a pet peeve. When people quote Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful of all things, that's the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. <laughs> the New Testament says you even have a new heart created within you, with the law of God written upon it. Okay? And so there's some sense in which that's why Paul has to say is, Act out of who you are. He says, "This is who you are. That's therefore, this is what you do." That's um, the real definition of identity politics. Another time. Um, other questions? I think we're about that time. Okay, a couple more minutes. Other questions? Anybody? Cool. Um, last chance. Okay, so. The last little quote I'll give you comes from uh, William Cooper. Do you guys know who that is? He's a friend of John Newton. Okay, he has a great hymn. Okay, um, and the, the hymn is um, let me make sure if I get the name right. It's "Love Constrained to Obedience," and he has this line: "To see the law fulfilled by Christ, to hear His pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child, and duty into choice." Okay, think about it this way. To see the law fulfilled by Christ, to hear his parting voice, forgiveness, what we get to rest and rejoice, to use a slave into a child, and duty into choice. Okay? All of a sudden, the good things that we want that we ought to do become the good things we want to do. All of a sudden we become go from trying to please God in terms of like being enslaved to God to rejoicing in his joy. Okay, we're gonna talk more about that. What was the name of the hymn? It's Love Constraining to Obedience. The whole thing's amazing. By William, it's spelled Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. Okay. And he's, he was an incredibly depressive man, so it's beautiful he wrote that. It's like personally so powerful he wrote that. Okay. Thank you all. Um, if you have note cards, just put them up front or back. I'll pick them up. I appreciate it. And I'll leave that cliffhanger and I'll see you guys tomorrow.